Hello and welcome to Year 5, Issue 6 of the Geeky Brummy Podcast. I am your stand-in host, Keith Bloomfield, while Ryan takes a few uh, welcome days off. And joining me on this issue is Lee Price. Hello. And Matt Lovell. Hello. Uh, later, we'll be talking about the recent Netflix film, The Mitchells vs. the Machines. We'll be taking a look at some of the newest trailers, and we'll be each recommending you one of our favourite geeky books. So, stay tuned, and we'll be back soon. What's happening to you these days? Having lots of fun? Believe me, I know some folks that are in for some fun. <laughs> Take a minute, see what's in it. But you can see how dangerous this could be. But first... We're going to have a little fun tonight, folks. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. So it's been a few weeks since we were last with you on your podcasting service of choice. Uh, so it's time to catch up with what everybody's been up to. And first of all, we're going to go to Mr. Matt Lovell. Matt, what have you been up to? Hello, hello. Um, for me, it's been quite busy um, at work. But... Uh, in terms of actual geekery, I purchased Resident Evil 8 Village. Um, I wasn't going to, but then I thought, you know what, actually, screw it, I'm going to do it. And I'm really enjoying it. I'm three hours, two to three hours into the game. And um, one thing I will say off the bat is Capcom have optimized it really, really well for PC. I, I'm running a 960 graphics card and it still runs incredibly well. It's a bit choppy here and there, but for a game as visually impressive as Resident Evil 8, they've done a really good job optimizing it. Uh, I have actually seen a guy called Lowspec Gamer did actually point out just how good it is at like, scaling down. So yeah. I have heard about this. Honestly, yeah, because I was going to hold off getting it. Um, but then obviously with, with all the PC crisis going on, I was like, you know what, screw it, I'll do it. Um, it's definitely easier than Resident Evil 7, but um, it's uh, the story is really interesting. All the characters are really interesting. And also I like how it's subtly changed a little bit more towards action. So things like um, the enemies drop a few items here and there, but it's not they've not gone too far the other way you know chris redfield punching a boulder tear <laughs> you know ridiculous it's it's got a nice balance and actually given the setting is quite um it's quite fantasy this time in terms of you've got werewolves uh you've got werewolves vampires etc it's quite interesting without any spoilers how they're actually working it back into the resident evil ridiculous mega virus narrative um so overall hats off to them have you encountered the infamous lady vampire yet tall vampire lady i have <laughs> um i'm also very familiar with the thomas tank engine mod as well for the tall <laughs> vampire lady and it is worth it is so worth it <laughs> have you seen the baby mod as well uh, replacing the baby's head with Chris Redfield. Yes, Chris Redfield. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, the best thing. And I, I just find it, it's a beautiful thing when modders get together and the fact that within days you have a baby head Chris Redfield. <laughs> it's the only downside that when I do get around to it, I'll be playing it on console. So I won't get any of that uh, fun elements. 
it's okay. I'm sure you can get paid DLC. <laughs> <laughs> paid DLC, Chris Babyhead. <laughs> Anything else outside of Resident Evil? Uh, not really. <laughs> it's been it's been a we uh, with work. We're returning to 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 events and opening back up, which is obviously very exciting. But it also means I currently don't have a life. <laughs> Well, if you've got Resident Evil 8, what else do you need? Really? If I've got a nine-foot lady stalking me in high hills around a big castle <laughs> in Romania, I don't need anything else in my life, really. I've, li- I've liked some of the Twitter memes that have been hitting of like me like trying to escape from the vampire lady. Everyone's <laughs> going, yeah, well, I'm just going to get caught. It's fine. It's like... uh, yeah, there's the one with the video of the guy running down the beach like, oh, no, don't catch me. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just, I just love how Capcom and Japan in general managed to capture everyone's weirdest fantasies. <laughs> but managed to tease it out of everyone. They didn't know that's what they wanted, but it is. <laughs> I, I feel bad that I'm thinking, it's been a while since I've played a Resident Evil game, but I do quite fancy this one. But I don't want it to be seen for the wrong reasons. It's like, it looks like a good game. It's not about a giant vampire lady at all. It's like, no. Although... I think when I looked to uh, see a, a particular online store and um, which the price was of that and whether I could get it cheaper in my local Argos, um, there were some very interesting products available on that store <laughs> featuring, featuring this large vampire lady in in a state of serious undress. <laughs> I was kind of like, this is, a, this is a, you know, not what I was expecting from a major online retailer. <laughs> it's quite strange. What about you, Lee? How have you? What have you been up to over the past? Um, so um, I've actually been playing a game with a different tall vampire lady um, because I started up on a whim, decided to play Code Vein on Game Pass, uh, which is basically anime Dark Souls, and so my character is the tall vampire lady. Because uh, I flipped a coin, what gender am I going to be? Okay, I'm going to be a woman, and then. <laughs> And then she's tall just because the height slider at the beginning of the game provides zero context for how tall your character actually is going to be. So as soon as the game loaded up and like she's towering over every other female character, I was like, well, can't change that now. <laughs> she also has a, a, a massive hat as well, but I made it like bright red. So it's just Carmen Sandiego's hat. And basically the entire outfit was like, okay, this is about vampires in a Dark Souls type world goth as possible four capes <laughs> just go all the capes just all black with black with red trim that's what we're doing um but yeah i played it just on a whim just that curious to see if i actually enjoyed it or not and i'm still playing it a week later so it's the first time i've ever played through a souls like as well so it's been an experience getting to see an actual souls like even if it's not one of FromSoft's games but um okay but uh I've actually gotten quite far into it, surprisingly. Uh, I've managed to get good quite quickly, <laughs> so I'm, I'm proud of. Um, it's a really interesting world, though, because it's like just it's like a post-apocalyptic thing where everyone's now a vampire, and they're trying to find these trees that produce blood, and it's all very weird and anime, and it's it's great, but it, it is just a lot of fun to play as well. So. I was going to say, cause I've, I've had, I've heard quite a lot of good things uh, about it, um, mm-hmm. but every time I've gone to look at the trailers, it's just, it's just been 
one of your typical anime game trailers where it just says absolutely nothing. Everyone's just got really cool hair and they're just yeah. flipping around everywhere. And I'm just like, I don't actually know what this game is about. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's a very weird one, and it does have some of the the problems with being an anime game, like namely how it treats its female characters and how it frames those female characters. Um, like there's one bit where someone's talking about like a scientific experiment that led towards all this, and it's very serious, but the camera decides the best place to go is right here, just right on her chest. And I'm like, why do you need to be there? She's not even wearing, like, a skimpy outfit. She's dressed like a scientist. He's just like, so it's a lab coat and a, you know, a top. And it's just like, why are you doing that? Stop doing that. They have the um, stereotypical really squeaky high voices as well. No. Or the obligatory, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and there, is the, and there isn't an obnoxious mascot character either. Which, to be fair, I think does would honestly kind of kill the vibe of the game because it is very gothic and very dark. Um, but like not visually dark. Like There's actually quite a lot of areas that look very bright and colourful, surprisingly. So like there's an area that's sort of bathed in like sunset and all this sort of stuff, and it's, it looks great. And there's a cathedral area that's all very well lit and everything, but... Uh, like the the whole kind of feel of it is very dark just because it's post-apocalyptic and it's vampires and all this sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, having a lot of fun with it. And maybe now I might actually look at getting Dark Souls now that I'm enjoying it. What about you, Keith? What have you been up to? Um, strangely, in, in, a, in a fashion that must, we must all be doing the same, I have um, just finished a game called Genesis Noir, uh, mm-hmm. which is from developer Feral Cat. Uh, den and publisher fellow traveler um just because i'm putting off buying pokemon snap and (laughs) evil eight for a little while um but i was i was quite surprised i quite liked it i've been playing a couple of these kind of more indie uh games uh and there was just something about the design of genesis night that i quite liked it was kind of like a hand-drawn uh 2d animation um i had to get over the idea that it started off with this kind of jazz tinged um environment um but it was great it was kind of it's it's very linear there's there's not really an awful lot to do there's very simple puzzles to be solved um but i did quite like when it got towards the end of the game it kind of went a bit um psychedelic uh and kind of ended in a very unexpected way um which i really enjoyed i kind of like i kind of got quite a lot out of that game um so i kind of recommend it i think it's on um a few different platforms if you haven't seen it it's mm. definitely worth yeah. a playthrough it's quite interesting yeah i've seen i've seen it around and it's like kind of a weird jazz odyssey like involving the big bang or something like that and yeah, it's like this, well, there's the... all this um science stuff about the yeah. origins of the universe and kind of like multiple dimensions and yeah um, it's kind of it's kind of cool it's actually kind of it's kind of it, it, it looks interesting but i've absolutely no idea what's going on so. <laughs> <laughs> i think it's definitely worth a playthrough if you get the opportunity uh and because i'm still waiting to get resident evil 8 and pokemon snap i then moved on to another game called rain on your parade um okay which just sounded great because you just a cloud who rains on everybody uh, <laughs> their days. um and that's that's, that's... kind of interesting because it's kind of got 3d graphic parts but the actual cloud itself is like a two two-dimensional cardboard cuts out <laughs> you just fly on strings around the sky um so i've got through that a little bit which is quite, quite funny just rain on stuff to ruin things so i'm going to try and give that a playthrough and hopefully by the time i finish that i'll be in a, play, a position that i can um get hold of uh, pokemon snap first and then resident evil 8 i think that's the way i'll do it that's 
Christmas. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to get Pokemon Snap at some point soon. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> I just hope <laughs> so the price stays down. Argos. Argos is the place to go. Cheapest mm. price available at the moment. Um, other stores are available. Um, and then I was, quite that pleased, <laughs> I was quite pleased that Inside <laughs> Number 9 started up again on TV. Um, mm-hmm. The Reshear Smith, um, um, Steve Templeton um, show, which is just brilliant. In a half an hour, they do more than most dramas do. Not looking at you, Line of Duty. But it has been. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was quite pleased that that was back. I think this first episode was a bit of a... Um, kind of a bit of a, a divisive one but i kind of kind of kind of liked it because it had a very, very reservoir dogs vibe about it uh, and mixed with shakespearean and a couple of other kind of like um, theatrical tropes but that was really good so i'm enjoying i'm hoping the rest of the series is uh, as good as all the previous ones yeah i've i feel like i'm one of the only people who hasn't watched inside number nine because <laughs> i hear so much about it but i've never actually seen it it's <clears throat> it's so, same as you, Keith. I, I love it. I think it's really, really good. There are obviously some because they're they're sort of anthologies, they're self-contained stories. There are some kind of a lot weaker ones, but then there's also some absolute standout ones like Twelve Days of Christine, which is like still one of the best pieces of television I've ever seen, <laughs> like hands down. Um, and it's got the sort of trademark League of Gentlemen black humour. Um, yeah, it just it just works really well. If you haven't seen it, you've got five seasons with this sixth one just starting. They did a mm-hmm. live Halloween special um, one year as well, which was quite quite brilliant. Um, did hear a lot about that. Yeah, yeah, it was harking back to that the days of um, the Mike Smith fronted one, um, Ghost Watch, in that kind of sense. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a bit of a, um, a kind of meta thing, but that was really good. It's definitely worth watching. Uh, and like Matt says, like if the one doesn't uh, you know, if you don't like one, there's going to be another one that you'll you'll, you'll find something mm-hmm. to do, which is kind of cool. Um, so yeah, so um, coming up in the rest of the show, of course, you'll have both mine and Lee's uh, comics and game roundups. Um, but next up, we're going to be talking about Mitchell's versus the Machines. So recently out on Netflix is The Mitchells vs. The Machines. This is the directorial debut of Mike Ronda, uh, coming out of uh, Sony Pictures Animation. Uh, It's a film that's also co-directed by Jeff Rowe and has been produced by Phil Lord, Chris Miller and Carl Ulbricht, who people might know from previously being involved a lot in uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, this particular film features a voice cast including Abby Johnson, um, Abby Jacobson, Daniel <laughs> Bride, Maya Rudolph, uh, Eric Andre, Olivia Coleman, Fred Armiston, Beck Bennett, and John Legend is in the cast there. Um, so it was originally planned to hit cinemas in the kind of tail end of 2020, but has now um, come out on Netflix. Um, so I, we're just going to kind of see what people thought of this new movie. So we'll go with Lee this time. Um, what did you think? I really loved this movie. Um, just the whole time I was just laughing. Um, it's just such a fun movie. Like every every part of it, I cannot think of a bit that I didn't like. Um, it's just, it. I mean, first of all, the animation is stunning. Like it looks amazing. It's 
because it's kind of combined a variety of styles it feels like but it all kind of gels together really nicely and it kind of just the the character designs are great and i'm i i love that kind of that sort of style of character um and just i think the the kind of central themes of like family and technology going too far were both kind of handled really well like they didn't kind of go technology is bad it wasn't like black mirror where what if phones put too much it, it was uh you know there's still like an element of like technology can do all this good stuff but there is a point where it can go too far and i thought that it's just just such a fun time i yeah completely agree i think um things like so like the voice cast like abby jacobson um i loved i, I first found her like with uh disenchanted and i thought it was she was really good in that and i'm glad to see her in like a, a big film because she really does play her characters really really well and she gets the humor as well she's very good at dropping in little hints there and like, here and there of humor um and you've also got um was it fred armison who is um obviously quite big in his own right with things like Portmandia and um, he voiced Kevin in Final Space who I absolutely loved his character however annoying he was um, but also I think one of the big uh, wins for me was the soundtrack um, so both the original score was a really nice mix of sort of your standard sort of instrumental sort of movie music but then they they weave a lot of um sort of synth and that kind of thing in whenever there's more sort of like scenes talk about tech or robots that kind of thing um and i agree i think they handled the subject matter a lot um quite well compared to sort of others kind of in the genre and for me one of the very sort of like really subtle but really nice bits that stood out for me is um, there's a very subtle LGBTQ plus theme running throughout the film, and it's not it's not laboured. There's no like massive zoom in on it, and um, as far as I'm aware, in the marketing that kind of thing, they've not kind of used that as a hook either. It's very subtle, and you could miss it. Um, and I, I just quite like that's a nice kind of way of representing it it's normalizing that kind of thing quite yeah. well yeah i i did actually pick up on it and i just kind of went huh yeah. okay that's that was there the whole time <laughs> i only noticed it right at the end of the movie i was like oh yeah well okay cool that that's fine <laughs> yeah it's one of the and, film's great strengths that it, it does a lot of things but it doesn't labor it it doesn't push it into people you know, it doesn't go, hey, look at me, we're talking about this, these particular subjects. It just lets the characters be who they are and you connect with the characters. And although it has the kind of, you know, the overall basic premise of like father-daughter familiar relationships, um, it it plays with it in, within a, a kind of modern sensibility. It's kind of these are what families are like these nowadays. It's like, you know, there are generational gaps. There are differences between how people view technology. Um, obviously, in the film that the daughter is into films and making animations and does some great stuff with her pug dog 
think it's a pug. Is it? Or is <laughs> it's it a dog a pig? <laughs> and then the dad's kind of very and not anti-technology, but not te- technology savvy, and likes the he's, outdoors. He's an outdoorsman, yeah. Yeah, and so he kind of um, uses that as the crux to kind of generate the conflict, but also then how the family gels together and how the mom kind of plays that bridging role. And it's it's very traditional in many senses, but also very progressive. I thought it was a very much a kind of film of the of the twenty first century. I did enjoy how they handled the dad's ineptitude with technology because it's just <laughs> like we. I think we all know someone of that kind of age group who's just that inept with technology, <laughs> who just panics as soon as they see a screen. You know? It made me feel bad though because like that I'm the dad character now. It's like <laughs> I'm in that I'm in that demographic of that's what it is because it's very much you know the kids were very much in the, in a similar kind of age age range to what, what my own kids are and it's like oh yeah I'm I'm the Danny McBride dad character now. It's like I'm not the cool John Legend dad. I'm the I'm kind of bumbling. I'm not quite good. Um, a bit useless around the house dad. But yeah, it's and the whole kind of um, one of the other. The highlights for me was um, Olivia Coleman as the voice of of Pal. Oh yeah, which was just brilliant. I, there was a point where she started talking, and I was just like, I know that voice, and immediately looked at the cast list and went, Oh, okay, well, <laughs> I did not expect that, but that, I'm I'm fine with Olivia Coleman being the villain in this. <laughs> I think the fact that um, uh, the uh, sort of Steve Jobs type character was called Mark as well. I was just, I kept getting Peep Show vibes though. That That's how I did the same thing. I looked it up. Because every time she said Mark, I was like, I know that Mark. I know that Mark sound. <laughs> but, but <laughs> that would have been a completely different movie. It's <laughs> funny you, you mentioned that character as well, because when I was looking at, looking it up while watching the movie, I saw Eric Andre's name as soon as he started talking in that scene. And I went, oh yeah, that is Eric Andre. <laughs> but just straight away. Yeah. I think it's um, it's a really good film, and it, it's a it, it's a good pedigree as well. Because, like you said, like um, Into the Spider Verse was uh, fantastic, like absolutely phenomenal. And also, they did Lego Movie as well, which again is it's a, a kids' film done right, where it's not too ridiculous that other people can't enjoy it, but there's enough to keep the kids sort of engaged, and there's enough sort of like references and that kind of thing to keep it engaging but not too forced <laughs> yeah i think it doesn't fall, it doesn't fall into that usual trap that some animated films do that are too now and kind of like in a few years time it won't play um to the audiences because it's either too hip with the voice cast or it's it's all down to one song that was big in the charts at the time um but i think it's a film that, that will bear repeat viewing and get new new um viewers as time goes on because it's kind of it's kind of a bit a bit timeless perhaps in 10 15 years maybe when technology's moved on again but um it was like and there's lots there's lots to take in in the background detail and i think that is something they did so, so spectacularly with spider-man into the spider-verse was that mix of animation styles with that one it was the difference between the various spider people um, but in this, just just that mix of of kind of three D animation elements of two D animation using the sound effects, um, you know, it did fe- it did feel thing. like with with the actual character animation, it felt very stop motion, like yeah. the actual like especially like with the robots and stuff, they felt very CG, but the family felt very stop motion, and I think I kind of feel like that helped highlight the difference and like how 
unusual they are within this world like especially with the dad kind of being the old-fashioned type and having him kind of animated in that stop-motion style kind of played that up a little bit and I, I quite liked that that's a really good point and I think um it, it's it's nice uh, I think it's it's a good example of how you can still innovate animated movies because obviously now it's kind of the norm to to do sort of CGI animated movies but the fact they're blending different styles mm-hmm. kind of similar to to what you know Scott Pilgrim meant to me all those years ago where they sort of blended a lot of different styles together quite seamlessly um so even though it was still live action it had a lot yeah there's there's definitely like a similarity there because like you'd have little things pop up on screen that were like hand drawn and it's kind of similar to how scott pilgrim did like just little captions and little video game things popping up on screen so yeah yeah i think it's kind of it goes to show that like companies and and studios are investing in rather than just kind of like quick money grabbing kids films you know pixar have definitely got competition now when it comes to you know high quality animated movies you know both the lego movies even things like the how to train your dragon series which was dreamworks but but sony now have got you know they've got racked up a couple of you know good um you know interesting dynamic well animated well directed and you know films that appeal to everybody um not just kids i think i got a lot out of this movie and like the you know like lee there was there's so much to laugh at in there you know it's, mm-hmm. it's 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 funny without being you know childish or juvenile it's like yeah this is it, just, this is quite it was the whole sequence in the mall that got me <laughs> it just escalated so much and just got weirder and weirder and i just i was loving every minute of it i take it we're all going to say that this is a film we recommend everybody checks out oh yeah 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 Uh, so if if we've won you over with uh, our thoughts on uh, the mitchells versus the machines it's streaming now on netflix Now we take a look at some of the comics out now and coming soon in the pool list. Out now we have The Dreaming Waking Hours number 10 from DC's Black Label. This is written by G. Willow Wilson with art by M.K. Perker and Nick Robles. In this issue, the new ruler of the Kingdom of Fairy stands revealed and it's Nula. She may be one of the most beloved characters in the Sandman mythos, but she sure does seem, how shall we say this, different. And amidst this chaos, what secret from Heather After's past will re-emerge when she needs it most? Uh, next week we have Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade number 3 from Marvel Comics, written by Simon Spurrier with art by Sergio Fernandez de Villa. In this issue, the mighty Thor versus the Black Knight. Dane Whitman wields the magical Ebony Blade as the Black Knight. He needs Elsa Bloodstone's help if he's going to stop an enemy's murderous hunt for the Ebony Artifacts. But the Ebony Chalice lies beyond this world in a wasteland of dangerous fantasies and predatory magic. Their battle in the present will reveal dangerous secrets of the past as the mighty Thor duels the first Black Knight at Camelot. The Chalice's power, like the Ebony Blades, comes at a terrible cost. Is Dane willing to pay it? 
also from Marvel and out next week, is Ultraman, The Trials of Ultraman number 3, written by Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom, with art by Francesco Manna. In this issue, it turns out that the forces aligned against the USP and Ultraman are far more widespread and more organised than our heroes had ever suspected. If they're going to survive, they'll need a new ally of their own, and the man they're looking at just so happens to be one of the most powerful and influential people in the world. But what's his history with the USP, and why does he seem to have his own hidden agenda? Out next week from Boom Studios, we have We Only Find Them When They're Dead Number 6, written by Al Ewing with art by Simone DeMeo. In this issue, 50 years have passed since Captain Malik and the crew of the V-Han 2 embarked on their fateful mission and the universe has changed in ways no one ever expected. Jason Hauser, one of the fated V-Han 2 crew, is now 71 years old and living a life on the razor's edge between the harvesters and the worshippers. But as those rival religious factions clash throughout the galaxy, Jason finds himself thrown into the centre of the chaos and forced to confront his tortured past. But the only people who can help Jason have their own secret agenda, one that may bring him face to face with Captain Malik in ways beyond comprehension. And finally, out next week from IDW Publishing is Star Trek Year 5 number 20. This one's bounced around the schedules for a bit, so hopefully this will be out this week. Uh, It's written by Brandon Easton with art by Sylvia Califano. If you want to find out some other comics that might be worth checking out, you can always have a look at our On The Radar feature on our Twitter feed and website on a Wednesday. Until then, back to the main show. Now, in a kind of semi-regular feature, we're going to take a look at some of the recent trailers for some of the big hits coming our way over the next couple of months. Uh, First up, we're going to talk about Army of the Dead, the new Zack Snyder movie that is coming to Netflix in the UK. Um, Liam, Matt, you've had a chance to have a look at this one. What did you think? I'm so glad that they took every AAA game from the last 10 years and shoved them into one movie. <laughs> it's like it's like Call of Duty with zombies. So it's it's just Call of Duty zombies, really, then. <laughs> That's all I got from it. And you got the grimy set in, and then, you know, it's a little bit quirky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's uh, effectively post-apocalypse, and um, the main character has to put together like a crack team to break into a lockdown Vegas to... Um, get a large sum of money from one of the um, casinos and get out again before the government nukes it. Um, so it's a bit of a sort of action comedy style thing. Um, I got Resident Evil Extinction vibes from it. Um, not especially the scene in Vegas, obviously. But um, I don't know about this one. I think it probably isn't one that I'm going to uh, jump out and watch straight away. I think it's just very much of a muchness, really. It's another generic zombie film, loads of shooting, you know, smart-ass characters, that kind of thing. It's just there's not really a lot of it that I care about, to be honest. I I feel the same way, especially since my first thought was, oh, good, it's zombies. (laughs) We haven't seen this before. (laughs) No, no, no. They're better zombies. They've uh, evolved. Lee. They've evolved. I mean, I, I must say, I'm, I, I was, I was curious when I first heard about it, because um, I, I, I quite liked um, Snyder's kind of remake of Dawn of the Dead um, from a few years back, which was just a, a straight remake, 
not a straight remake, but an updated version of um, George Romero's classic Dawn of the Dead, uh, which was kind of, it, it was a very serviceable movie. He kind of ad- updated some of the, the zombie attributes to kind of make them more contemporary to what people like now, that they kind of run and do kind of parkour and whatnot. Um, so I, I, what confused me is I've, I've not really other than the trailer i'm like is it connected to that movie is it within the same kind of logistical universe yeah. um but then i kind of found out that uh tig notaro is going to be in it as like a badass helicopter pilot and i'm kind of like yeah i'm just going to watch it for that i just want to see it along <laughs> and just be like a real badass what's it because it's like yeah I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna watch it for that, that that's gonna be the coolest bit like all these other big action heroes and, and then you've got Tig coming in. So I hope I hope she survives but manages to also kick some ass. Uh, helicopter pilot. Yeah. They tend to not do very well. Don't, don't say that. Don't say that. Especially, <laughs> especially, especially since Matt brought up Resident Evil vibes and Brad Vickers and the original Resident Evil, his fate, you know. I mean, it's, it's coming to Netflix, so it's kind of it would be kind of easy to just pop on on a on a lazy saturday afternoon or whatever it is um to blast through so i'm kind of curious and it's um it means that zack snyder's getting to do kind of what zack snyder does so outside of his dcu movies um i think he's going to be a little bit more playful with this i I imagine it'll just be the same uh, kind of bombastic colorful um stuff that we would come to expect um but so, uh, would you? Is it, a, is it a watch or not watch from you two? I mean, like you pointed out that it is on Netflix, so it's one of those things where you could put on so without too much commitment. But it's definitely not something I'd go out of my way to watch. Um, I think just I think part of it is, like you said, there is some confusion of whether or not initially if it's part of like the dead series you know like you said with dawn of the dead and all that is it part of that because usually if it's something of the dead it's from that series um but also i think there's the the heist element confused me it's like you're doing a heist movie zombie movie what is this i'm not sure but like i'm not sure how well those elements gel together so Mm. i think for me it's gonna be a not watch but if I ever do watch it, it will be a hangover watch. The kind of thing you, you put on because you're dying and you just need something. <laughs> uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the watch camera just because I am curious about it and uh, like I said, I just want to see Tig Notaro just kick ass in this movie. So just so he's just so out of character for it. I just I'm looking forward to that completely. Um, so the next the next movie we're kind of looking at seems like at 12 months out, out of date because i can remember seeing bus sidings with advertising this movie um but we've got the quiet place part two um which is coming out towards the end of this month supposedly in theaters um but hopefully that will be the case um so i are, are both of you clamoring to spend some quiet time with this movie uh... <laughs> um yes in short <laughs> i i really enjoyed the first one um obviously there was a lot of sort of competition between bird box and quiet place because they had largely similar premises and i think quiet place did a really amazing job as a film i was constantly really invested like really on edge and obviously a lot of that came from the complete lack of sound um 
I will be interested to see where it goes. Um, and especially with the introduction of like the, the baby at the end of the quiet place, which was quite problematic, and you were just there being like, oh, how are they ever gonna like keep it quiet? And <laughs> just seeing how those kind of elements sort of play into the next um the next film, which basically follows directly after um the amazing sort of finale of the first one. Uh yeah, I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, I loved the first one. It was one of those movies that kind of shows the benefits of sound design, especially in horror, um, because the sound design is most of the time there is no sound. And every time that there is sound, it terrifies you because they set it up so well that like every bit of sound is a problem. And like you said, the, the scene with the baby in the original movie is just like, oh, God. Um but yeah, like I'm very, very interested to see where they take it. Um, I didn't actually consider like, oh yeah, the baby is going to be a massive problem, isn't it, going forward? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's. I think the first movie was just such a good, like, tense horror movie that just did not let up with that tension for the entire time, and it'd be interesting to see where the second one goes with that. Although the trailer, admittedly, like does end with a lot more noise than that film <laughs> should have in. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't unfortunately see the first film in a theater, in a cinema, which I think would have uh, greatly enhanced it. I saw it on um, Blu-ray a few months later in the house, which I think detracted a little bit from from a lot of the tension that would have been built up in a in a, in a cinema while everybody was like holding their breath and waiting for things to go and again it played well with the idea of keeping the um the alien presence quite distant for quite a long time didn't really get to see so that that was you know didn't play too much in um i'm not quite sure if they can keep up that um in this second film the 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 idea that we're doing some flashbacks so we're kind of seeing the initial stages of the the invasion um it's like, is it just going to be a little bit too broad now? And there's going to be lots of moments where we can, there's more noise. The tension's not as not as um, palpable as it was before. But then they do run into a character played by Cillian Murphy, who's always good value whenever he turns up on screen. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see what they what they do with that. It looks as if they're keeping the cast again quite tight, and it's not going to be you know a lot of characters in. Um, but yeah, I think the idea of the baby being there um you know could be a potential problem for them in this but you know they did they did find some things out at the end of the last movie so whether they'll kind of play up on on that knowledge as well um mm-hmm. should be quite interesting but i kind of think if i'm if I, if i do get to see this one i would like to see it in a cinema just just purely because of that immersive sound and, and being in the dark and everybody else kind of being in the same boat um and someone moves on the other side of the room and it's <laughs> but i think it's that so I, I never saw it in the cinema but yeah. i think that would be giving me more stress is i can tell someone's eating some harry bow like right over there and it's just like i can't because i'm also too polite and too british to say anything so i will just sit there and stew <laughs> seething 
seething. If, if we were in the world of the quiet place, you'd be toast now. It'd be like service number. The, the one person who hasn't turned their phone off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, with this one again, do you think uh, it's going to be a, a worthwhile seeing? Definitely. I'm definitely interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's I think there's plenty in the, in this one to keep uh, everybody uh, interested in. Um, so if you do get a chance to get to the cinemas at the end of this month, um, Quiet Place Part Two does seem like well worth a trip. Uh, we're kind of pushing over to the small screen briefly uh, for our next trailer, um, which probably a lot of people are looking forward to seeing. It comes out on June the 9th now after a nice special announcement trailer from a bloke called Tom Hiddleston apparently he's quite famous mm-hmm. um, but this is the next big Marvel TV series after WandaVision and the Falcon stroke Captain America and the Winter Soldier spoilers there for anybody who's not seen it um, so this is this is his um, headlining series Loki any thoughts on this trailer uh <clears throat> Me personally, I am looking forward to it. I think it's um, it's going to be another One Division kind of style for me, where I think uh, Loki's a really interesting character, and th- the plot of it is basically time dilation and, and timelines, that kind of thing. So I think it, it may get a bit meta, but I think it's going to be positive kind of meta if that makes sense like kind of like deadpool kind of meta um and fourth wall breaking and that kind of thing um so i am looking forward to it quite a lot um well obviously it's a marvel thing so i'm like well (laughs) no i don't really fancy watching the million other things associated with it although there were definitely parts of that trailer where I was getting a control vibe and I was like, don't do this to me. <laughs> um, you know, the sort of shadowy agency that's overseeing time stuff is the vibe I was getting off of it. And I was just like, mm, mm, that is kind of my, my thing. And <laughs> the problem is it's like Loki's the problem though because it's like I know that it's going to tie in with all the other MCU stuff and it's going to be confusing for me on that respect and not confusing in the way that these things are supposed to be. <laughs> you, you could just watch all the Marvel movies beforehand, like, oh, just to fill yourself cause, in. Because I've got I've got better things to do. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's just a big conspiracy to, for Marvel just to get you like just to get hooked in. They've come, heard, come they've heard that come. Lee hasn't watched many of the Marvel movies. And they go, How can we do it? Let's put a bit of control into our trailer. Uh, get him that way. I mean, it's even kind of the lighting is kind of similar as well at times. I'm just like, mm. <laughs> I, I'm very much like Matt. I'm I'm kind of really looking forward to this one. Up until kind of these Marvel uh, shows, my favourite superhero uh, TV show was Fox's Legion, um, which was just brilliant and absolutely phenomenal tour de force of. Um, of um filmmaking um and, and it was weird and strange and bizarre and this has got a lot of that kind of weirdness vibe going on um and you know this idea of him um being tasked by the time variance authority uh to help fix the timeline just looks like an opportunity to kind of really push the 
boundaries of what Marvel have been doing and kind of do some interesting stuff and either retcon it be, could it be an interesting way that they could do some kind of bizarre retconning of things or setting things up um but i'm also just really really excited of watching owen wilson and tom hiddleston back <laughs> each other because um, i do i do quite like like owen wilson's slightly sardonic <laughs> delivery in whatever film he's in so i'm kind of like yeah if we can get a bit of like wes anderson feel into this i mean also like are we going to get the iconic owen wilson wow <laughs> that, that was actually my initial reaction to seeing him in the trailer <laughs> wow yeah he's going to channel his hansel from zoolander uh, which would be the best thing for it um but I think it's good because it, it looks so different to WandaVision and it looks so different to Falcon and Winter Soldier and it's kind of like... Um... I, I think it's that because it, it's, it's, it's Marvel but it's off the beaten track Marvel and, and that's kind of what I was saying with WandaVision where it's just, it's not, it, it's not your stereotypical Marvel programme and I think with, um, with the setting and the character himself who is incredibly unpredictable, incredibly unreliable, that kind of thing that's where sort of the intrigue comes from i think you it it's promises to be quite an interesting series yeah i mean and some of the kind of leaks that they've had over over the time of, of like certain characters or actors that are going to pop up and you kind of go just how are they gonna how are they gonna work that in but it's with the thing with the logo the way they kind of use different types there's there seems to be hints and clues to what we could expect just in the typography they've used in the title um so i'm kind of looking forward to them maybe playing with some of the comic tropes that we've had uh with loki in the comics because loki as a character in the comics has, has quite a lot of um variations so i'm kind of hoping they might do some things that kind of um tie into loki's history within the comics as well but i'm really i'm really looking forward to this one um can't wait for the 9th of june to come around so it's it's a watch from me uh matt Lee. watch from me yeah if it, if they could do more standalone things, like I've said before, like if Marvel did more standalone things, I probably would watch this. But because it all ties in with superhero movies that I find incredibly tedious, then no, I will not watch it. I, I think you should watch it, and then each week you could just com- just can like report on how confused you are by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> just, just whether after six episodes you're just utterly confused beyond belief. <laughs> Or whether you've gone, oh, okay, this is all right. I've now watched the rest of the movies. Um, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think we're going to get that far. But um, yeah. yeah, I think um, if, if, you're a, if you're a fan of the Marvel movies and you've enjoyed the previous two seasons, uh, series that have been on Disney+, Plus, I think this is definitely one um, to keep an eye out for. And our final uh, trailer for this time round is uh, an interesting new movie uh, based on... I believe on a video game not that i've played it uh, and it's called <laughs> werewolves within um matt lee any any more info on that do you have you uh, any knowledge of the original game sorry? yeah yeah sorry you go first lee i don't know much about like werewolves within as a game but like before we um before we recorded um matt mentioned that it's sort of like the werewolf deduction game so like the actual like physical game and i could see all the mechanics of that game in that trailer (laughs) um just straight away like oh yeah someone's getting killed at night and then like everyone in a room trying to being suspicious of each other i'm like okay but i'm really curious as to 
how any of that's going to translate to an actual story because part of the way that game works is that it's always going to be something different it's always going to be someone different in that room and it's kind of it kind of naturally evolves off off the mechanics sort of thing so yeah i, I mean so what grabbed me straight away was the ubisoft logo so it's based on it's based on the ubisoft vr game called werewolves within which is in itself based on the social deduction card game yeah. called werewolves and the the game itself i haven't played off six vr but um it's received quite a decent amount of praise it's i think it's like the ninth it's perceived as like the ninth best psvr game um but exactly what what you just said lee it's um the game itself is social deduction and um the fun of it as well is when you play with your friends um and you're there being like you're a werewolf even though you have no proof just because you, <laughs> you want to wind them up that kind of thing it's it's all about sort of the characters so i think um the film i'm interested but i am almost definitely sure it's going to be rubbish because i think to pull off this kind of concept you need to really give the characters a lot of screen time a lot of time for us to really like them to then be like oh my god who is like you know who is the werewolf um and it would be interesting to also see if any of the other cat like mechanics carry over so in the original game people have different roles for example you have two you have like one or two werewolves you have the villagers and then you have special roles who can do certain things at certain times to kind of narrow down who might be the werewolves so it'd be interesting to see if that kind of translates into it as well or if it doesn't um mm. yeah i think it's an interesting one because it's not it's not a big property and it's unusual to kind of have um a movie based on on a fairly kind of unknown um, kind of video game thing, but I think what won me over after watching the trailer and I had to look at the um, the official website was the poster um, for it is absolutely brilliant. It's a little uh, knitted werewolf uh, with what looks like a scarf uh, on, and it's like I, I I want I want the knitted werewolf. <laughs> too cool, but. You know the poster. Doesn't, the poster doesn't really give anything away. I mean, I don't think if you if you knew it was a video game adapt, if you didn't know it was a video game adaptation, you certainly kind of wouldn't pick that up from um, kind of the poster. Uh, and if it hadn't have been for the Ubisoft logo at the beginning, um, it's kind of like it, it doesn't seem like your typical video game movie, really. Um, and kind of because it's based on a VR experience game, it's kind of like well, um, it seems it seems a strange choice um, to adapt. I mean- the thing that stands out to me, you saying that like it's an odd property to develop. I think if you were going to pick any social deduction game to base a movie on, it would be Among Us in terms of just sheer numbers, because <laughs> um, it is it is kind of fundamentally the same idea of just like someone is killing off everyone else, and everyone else has to figure out who it is. And mm. although I will confess that like I'm not a massive fan of the original Werewolf game. Um, but I really like Among Us, and I think it is because of like, where, like you said, it is basically just you point to people without proof and just go, "You're the werewolf" because you want to wind them up. And it's like I don't like that about werewolf because it's just like <laughs> you really are just throwing wild accusations around and just hoping that something comes together half the time. And 
I, I, that's a problem for me with that game. But you know, it it does seem like werewolves are on the on the rise again uh, in terms of um, appearing in films. There's been a few kind of like fairly low budget indie movies that have featured werewolves coming out in the last year or so. Um, and I do I have I must admit, I do have a soft spot for a werewolf movie. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious about this. I don't. I don't think I'll go out of my way to see it at the cinema, but certainly if it ends up on a on one of the streaming platforms or is um, relatively easily, you know, I can rent it on iTunes or something. I might. Give, I might give it a go. Um, it'd be. It'll probably be an, a UPlay exclusive. No new. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or in some kind of exclusive tie-in with with. Uh, it, it's going to be back projected on one of the walls in a, the next Assassin's Creed game or something. Um, they want a bit of that Fortnite uh, tie-in. Well, well they're going free, you're going free to play with a lot of games now. So like the uh, next Tom Clancy game, like you've got to get to a certain room and you can unlock the movie. Um, so <laughs> Just yeah. to try and get people to play Tom Clancy games. So based on the trailer uh, alone, really, is, this a, is it a watch or not watch? I mean, I'm curious. I yeah. don't have high hopes for it, so it's more kind of yeah, but I'm not expecting much. So let's let's see how it goes, kind of thing. I'm the same. It's it's a watch. It's mostly just curiosity as to how those mechanics are going to come together into a narrative. If they do, or if it just turns into another sort of like terrible, loads of random people getting killed, you don't really care about them, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I think I think I'm gonna I'll give it a try uh, if it pops up on one of the services that I've got access to, um, you know. But if 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 it doesn't work for me, I've always got Super Mario Bros to watch, so <laughs> uh, that'll be good. The best video game moving. Yeah. Uh, um, so... The best worst video game. Movie. <laughs> uh, and that uh, wraps us up for this uh, this edition of Trailer Talk. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the portion of the show where I talk about my games of the week. Last week there was one game out which made it pretty easy to pick and it was Resident Evil Village or Resident Evil 8 depending on how you want to call it. Already attracting attention due to its tall vampire lady antagonist, RE8 looks set to be a blend of RE7's first person close quarters horror and RE4's dingy European village setting with werewolves and sexy vampire women. Reviews are generally pretty good, although complaints about the lack of zombies and its relatively short length imply those making the complaints have never played a Resident Evil game beyond the halfway point before. Instead, it looks like more of Capcom's particular brand of slightly campy horror is present and it should be a game worth checking out. This week, Game of the Week is 100 Days Winemaking Simulator. A relaxing game where you run a winery, it looks set to be a solid mixture of card battler and management sim mechanics. Using randomly generated cards that determine what you can do each turn, you can try and Tetris new crops into your limited plots or use cards to perform actions like ploughing, harvesting and bottling. It looks like a relaxing yet still challenging time, and the colourful art style makes it stand out. And now, back to the main show. So now we're going to take a look at something we don't usually have a look at on, on the uh, Geeky Brummy podcast, but we're going to check out some uh, geek books that we're going to recommend you um, seek out and give a try. Um, so first up, we're going to go over to Lee. Lee, what's your book of choice? 
Okay, so I was having a look through what I've what I've read, and I ended up picking a series of books. Uh, so there's actually no, actually two of them, and it is the Nursery Crime series by Jasper Ford, and it is basically uh, detective novels, but set in a world where nursery nursery rhymes are real. Um, so I believe that the big over easy is about the the cases. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall and someone is responsible and now Jack Spratt needs to find him you know and that's that's what's going on in it and it is just it's very very silly as a as a concept but it also works really well and it it leans into the silliness of its own concept it's very comedic um it's very like and it really sort of plays into a lot of the sort of nursery rhyme tropes, and it's it's interesting because like having played Wolf Among Us uh, probably a few weeks ago as well, it's sort of similar, but like while the Wolf Among Us is very a lot more noir, I'd say that this is kind of leaning more into sort of the kind of Discworld Hitchhiker's Guide style of of, of writing, where it's kind of playing with the tropes and just being very silly with it as well um and yeah it's uh, i've only read one other book in like the other series that jasper ford does which is the thursday next series um which is sort of a similar concept where it's like investigations but it's like the world is all literary so all the literature all literature exists in this world as real but it's also like exists with it's like it's a story. It's a series that can only exist as a book because of how it works. Like it's like, oh, we actually use the, ne- the the actual written page to tell the story, and there's elements of that in this too. And yeah, it's been a while since I've I've read through these two, but they are very very good books, and they stood out to me when I was looking at my bookshelf. Those recommendations. <laughs> so, I guess in terms of like genre, it's sort of like detective yeah. thriller comedy kind of it's, thing it's very yeah it's very detective thriller but it's got those comedic elements running through it all the time and it's just it, again it's just playing on those drawing from these nursery rhyme tropes and just it's it's very it's very cleverly done i i love those kind of books when they mess with sort of established canon because i think you have to have a very you have to be very skilled and very good at what you do to be able to actually mm-hmm. make more content out of something that's already established without, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, manages, it, manages, it manages to get that balance right, I would say, yeah. From what I remember of it, so. Yeah, I'd read, I'd read the Thursday Next series of books, which I found mm-hmm. very, very... Um, a great read some real nice stuff in there and i'd seen those ones on the bookshelves and i've not actually got around to to reading mm-hmm. them so i think i will actually um go and seek seek those that series out now uh, yeah we go. have you got a book matt i do um however i love it so much i lend it out to people that i didn't realize <laughs> so i'm going to show a image of it but it is David Gemmell's legend. Um, so David Gemmell is a fantasy or was a fantasy writer and legend is his first book. And he's quite revered as a fantasy author um, for a lot of uh, sort of his writing style, but also a lot of the tropes as well. Um, legend 
is about um, a small sort of defense, um, which is the only way into this larger region um, called the Drenne. And they're under attack from this like never ending army of um, tribesmen who are basically trying to break through into their region and they've got no no support really other than um this one old uh warrior called Drust the legend and he's um he's in his 60s he's close to death and but he's had a long history of being this insane warrior and so they've got him to come and defend them and it's I think what I like about this 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 novel and the reason why I'd recommend it is because um, David Gemmell himself he originally started writing this book because he got diagnosed with cancer and he was going for screening to see if it was terminal and he turned that into this, this premise of this book um, where uh, effectively it's one force against unreasonable odds and there's no hope of winning and you can really see that in in the writing and the characters um an underlining theme is um there isn't really any hope for this siege it's a lost cause they are going to lose at some point and it's interesting how he's taken that premise and he's managed to really run with it and it kept me reading it i stayed up all night i think when i first read it i was like 14 15 i stayed up all night and then after i'd finished the book i just sat there for a couple of hours like wow this is amazing and it's one of the things that kind of got me into writing because even though on the surface it's it's written in the 80s it's quite a sort of like fantasy novel of its era so it's a lot of like big muscly men and you know busty maidens that kind of thing it's it's quite those kind of tropes it's also the way it's written is really uh fantastic and you can see almost his his fears and his sort of like hopelessness going through the book but the way it ends as well really unexpected really well done and um there's a lot of light-hearted moments as well which is really unexpected so yes david gemmel legend it's quite cheap on amazon pick it up give it a read <laughs> it's not a it's not a book that i've um had on my radar at any point um although gemmel is a writer i've kind of been aware of and a lot of people have have, have had like you know um a lot of positive thoughts so it's just just not a writer i've kind of um come across so i might have to give him a try now yeah i think um because i i was recommended uh his his book they said if you like fantasy start with him he's a very good starting place and i do see that it is quite an entry-level fantasy but um his subsequent books uh, you could tell his writing style has got a lot more developed and i guess a lot of people would say some of his better books are his later ones but this um i think just for the fact of it's a perfect example of someone who is writing for a purpose they're writing for a passion and they're channeling all of their energy into this narrative and these characters it's really really well written as a piece of literature whether you're a big fantasy fan or not i um have picked a book as well which is kind of um 
a strange choice, I think. People might know this author from other novels uh, like Chocolat or um, The Lollipop Shoes. But um, quite a few years ago, she wrote two books, one called uh, RuneScape and one called RuneLight, which kind of had contemporary versions of um, Norse gods. But I've picked uh, a book she wrote uh, about eight years ago, uh, which is called The Gospel of Loki. Uh, and this is officially her first young adult novel, even though the kind of room marks and uh, room light um, books kind of fell into that trope. But they stuck the M in to kind of make it that this is a kind of more kind of fantastical <laughs> writing. Um, but this is this is kind of a bit of a standalone novel. It takes place about 500 years before the room um, series. Um, but what's great about this is it's it. It's the, the gospel according to Loki, and it's it's Loki kind of um, taking uh, all the slander that's been told about him for the past five hundred years as this you know he's this awful trickster god who does all these terrible things, uh, and kind of goes about setting the record straight about you know how he was recruited by Odin, you know the, his his involvement in the rise and fall of Asgard, his yeah, you know his his imprisonment through no fault of his own uh, and then kind of his, his ultimate involvement in, in Ragnarok um, and it's it's kind of cool because it plays with the um, the kind of established tropes of, of that and I think um, it was kind of written at, at a point when kind of people were just getting into that kind of like um, Marvel version of the character but this is much more in the, the, the true traditional Norse uh, version of him Um and and it's surprising how much that, that, that this plays off as, as like a real kind of um, lightweight, fun, uh, exciting uh, novel, even though it draws very much on the true um, Norse myths uh, and the, the whole mythology uh, of, of what's going on. But it's written in a way that's really accessible. Um, I think the young adult... Um, label probably does a little bit of a disservice people might be expecting something more along the lines of kind of like your, your harry potters or whatever it is um but there's something about joanne harris's writing that i just find really nice really lyrical she's got a really good way with words and she's very good at using um these kind of mythology settings to say a lot about kind of the the world we're living in and how our how our um how we interact with it, particularly in the, in the Rune series, that's much more at the forefront about how the, these gods have fallen out of favour as time goes on. Um, but it's if you've if you've any interest in kind of the North, the North, North, they, they don't know, <laughs> the Norse myths and the North North Norse mythology, um, then this book um, you could kind of read as a standalone. It kind of fills in about a bit of the backstory that you get later on in the kind of Rune. Um, series um, but it's definitely something that um, if you're kind of into kind of the trickster god uh, you, you, it's definitely worth um, picking up I kind of I've, re I've really enjoyed the whole series the three books it's um, um, one that I'm hoping she returns to again at some point um, because it, it's a really, really entertaining read that actually sounds like something I might have to check out at some point so <clears throat> sort of interesting question um in terms of the norse mythology aspect is it one of those where if you didn't really know a lot about norse mythology but you quite like the sound of the book you could still pick it up and you wouldn't be too left or would you need a bit of knowledge 
No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't need uh, any foreknowledge of the of the actual Norse uh, mythology. What's nice about it is that um, it's not written in a kind of like old world style. It's Loki comes across as a very twenty first century character who's kind of t- just recanting the the you know um, rewriting the, the the lies that have been told about him over the years. Um, so it's very accessible in that way. You kind of, you know, you might have some idea of who Thor, Odin, Loki, uh, and the rest of the kind of um, the Norse gods are, um, but you don't really need to have any other kind of foreknowledge of that. It's 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 written in such a way that makes it very accessible, um, and and makes the characters very contemporary, even though it's talking about kind of a historical period. But it's kind of that reflection back. It's it's a real nice read of like. Um, you know, and, and at times it's kind of difficult to kind of not hear Tom Hiddleston's voice in your head, <laughs> um, Loki's voice. Um, but I think that kind of adds to it as well a little bit in a way. You kind of like you 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 have a, an insight into him as this kind of you know he's he's an anti-hero in a in a in a sense. He's kind of like you know he he does some things, but you know. He's, he's he's trying to get by in the world, you know. It's it's it's, it's a it's a it's a rough time being the adopted son of um of of a, of a god, you know, with a, a red haired brother who kind of like takes all the thunder, <laughs> which is um which is kind of like um you know it's 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 really good, and I do, I do think if you if you are interested in that kind of thing. Um, this and the Rune series does does some really interesting stuff with those characters. Um, you know, really brings them into the kind of modern world. I've read um, Neil Gaiman's uh, Norse myths, which is much more of a standard retelling of the the, the Norse mythology. Much more of kind of like almost like a straight translation in the in the tradition of Beowulf and stuff. Whereas this is much more kind of like you know. Uh, how would these characters be if they were still around today and it, it, it makes it very accessible and, and, it, and it is fun and I, I do have a lot of love for kind of Norse mythology that's a lot a lot in that that I kind of connect to in terms of how the characters work how they interact and the kind of whole way that Norse sensibility the whole Asgard and kind of the, the various levels of gods that they have um, work so it's a, re- it's a real good read and I think you know young adult or old adult um, it's definitely a book that you should give a try. Cool. So I think that wraps up our look into a few uh, books that might be worth checking out. If you have any other uh, geek reads that you think people should be checking out, checking out, then do let us know either through our Facebook page or drop us a uh, tweet on Twitter. And that brings us to the end of this episode of the Geeky Brummy podcast. I'd like to thank Lee and Matt for joining me. Uh, but before we go, Matt, how can people find you online? You can find me at Mr. Matt Lovell on Twitter, uh, where I mostly post things I think are funny and no one responds. Um, you can find me on the Geeky Brummy Twitter handle as well uh, on a Monday where I take over the Twitter and talk most about esports and a couple of other things going on. Um, and you can also follow me on Instagram at Mr. Matt, at matchstick underscore Matt. Sorry. <laughs> Lee, where can we find you? 
Uh, you can find me on YouTube at Bob the Pet Ferret, and you can find updates for that YouTube on Twitter at Bob the Pet Ferret, and my personal Twitter is the Cheap Ferret. It's also supported by Patreon, which is again Bob the Pet Ferret. Uh, you can also find me doing the uh, weekly gaming roundup on geekybrewery.com with Matt providing the esports news, uh, covering the latest news and releases and the game of the week for every week. And uh, yes, I think that's that's everywhere you can find me. What about you, Keith? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at hardlook under no, I don't. I don't even know my own brand name. Under horse. Yeah, under horse. Do I. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hard luck underscore hotel without the underscore on Instagram, and then on Wednesdays via the various geeky Brummy feeds, the website and the Twitter, talking about the latest comics that are out. And although he's not with us this week, you can keep tabs on Mr. Parrish via his Twitter feed at Ryan Parrish. Or if there's food related stuff going on, I don't know if Master Chef's right on now, you can find him on <laughs> Brummy Gourmand. But you can find all of us online and on Twitter and on Facebook if you just search for Geeky Brummy. So that brings us to the end of this particular issue. I will hope you've had a good time uh, as much as we've enjoyed ourselves. And if you can, please do follow, like, share, tell your friends about us, send us gifts. Um, let us know what else you'd like to hear us talk about in the coming weeks. If there's anything you've seen, heard or done that you think um, we should be aware of, please drop us a line. Uh, but that's it for now so don't forget to join us on our next issue but for now bye bye everybody bye, bye.